Welcome to everybody. Welcome home to our campuses joining us online, uh, Webster, Rochester. It's great to be with each and every one of you. And I would bet that probably most of you are like me, right? When I get into my car, it doesn't matter if I'm, I'm going somewhere I know where I'm going or if I'm going somewhere I don't know where I'm going. I usually put that restaurant, that location, that address into my GPS, now, some of you might be like, well, why would you do that if you know where you're going? Well, I don't really like traffic. I don't know anybody else, but I don't like to hit traffic. I don't like to run into construction. And so my GPS will give me the most direct, fastest route and help me avoid some of those things. But you might know if you use your GPS a lot, when you have those settings in place, you might go down a road or two that might surprise you shock you a little bit, right? Take you down a path or a, a route that you weren't expecting, especially if you're driving in country roads. You know, you might be following your GPS and it makes you turn right and then left and then it says, right, you know, in 500 feet, turn right and you realize in 500 feet, that's a dirt road. And that dirt road leads to another dirt road and then you realize, like, isn't this how scary movies start? Right, like am I about to die? And, and what's interesting is that dirt road leads to a dirt road, which leads to a, par, a, a tar and chip road, and that leads to a paved road, and it leads to a highway, and guess what? You eventually get to where you wanna go. And here's what I would, I, I would say, church, sometimes the road less traveled is the exact road that you need to get to where you want to go. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And let me just catch everybody up where we've been. So we're seven weeks into a series, a series called A Church That. And throughout this series, we've been cast in vision. It started all the way back in September. Cast in vision of the church that we want to be. And when we say church, we want to reorient our brains. That We're not talking about buildings. We're not talking about programs. We're talking about us. We're talking about me and you because we are the church. And here's the reality. If we want to be that church, we have to be those people. And for the last seven weeks, we talked about a church or a movement of people that is a family. A church that is united, that fights for unity. A church that is in hot pursuit of people far from God so that they would experience a relationship with Jesus Christ. We talked about a church that is a work in progress. A church that is being sanctified, that is desperately wanting to look more like Jesus. We talked about a church that has ridiculous, audacious, crazy faith. We talked about a church that cares not just in the walls of our church, but in our community outside the walls of our church. And today, as we continue to cast that vision, we're almost done with this series. Next week is the last week. Today, we're going to talk about part of the church that's really hard. Maybe an area, a, a quality that could describe us that many people might never get to. It might be the, 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 the route, the quality that, that, that many Christians fall short of. It's a church that is ridiculously generous. A church that is willing to live with open hands. A church that is willing to sacrifice and surrender for the sake of the gospel. And here's what today is. It's, it's not what you think it is. Right? I know many people are like, oh no, here, here's that word, generosity, and here's the message where he just talks about my money. But here's the truth. Today we're going to take a different route. A route that many people don't take to generosity. Today we're going to go on some dirt roads because we're going to talk about a quality that many people in American society today miss 
And because they miss it, they never get to generosity. We find that route in Philippians chapter 4. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Philippians chapter 4. I'd encourage you to jump into the Northridge Church app. You can take notes on today's message, and you can take those notes to your community group and talk and ask your questions there. And here in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And we'll start in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Now let's pause here for a second because we get a little bit of context, right? Why should the church in Philippi be concerned for Paul? Well, here's the reality. This guy named Paul, early church leader, is writing this letter from a jail cell. He's been beaten, he's been abused for the sake of the gospel, and so he's writing this letter in some of the worst circumstances, and what's interesting in those circumstances is where God is beginning to teach him a lesson. Isn't it fascinating, church, today, that sometimes we have to go to the bottom for God to teach us how to get to the top? Isn't it interesting that the place we don't want to be is usually the place where God refines us the most? I mean, anybody with me? Come on, come on, church, amen? amen? Okay, just making sure you're alive. Look what he says. Look at the lesson he's learned. And indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. Now, pause for a second and think about what Paul is saying and where he's saying it from. This is a guy who is in probably agony from the beatings he's taken for the sake of Jesus. A guy who probably has some form of shackles on him, who's rotting in a jail cell. And you know what he tells the church in Philippi? Don't worry about me because I'm content. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm not in need. I mean, wait, wait, what, Paul, you're not in need. Yes, you are. In, no, I'm not in need. And there's that root, right, that most people don't take, the root of contentment. And what is contentment? What does it mean? Generically speaking, contentment is simply this. It's the state of being emotionally and mentally satisfied. Contentment defines your circumstances. It doesn't allow your circumstances to define how you feel or what's going through your mind. Let me put it into practical terms. For all you Bills fans, contentment is being... Before you jump to conclusions, you might not like this that much. You see, contentment is being satisfied with the Bill season, even if they don't make it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, see, I told you, I preach the truth, baby. Contentment is, you know, when you're single and you desire to be married, it's okay being single for the time God has you. Contentment is finding joy and peace and comfort despite your situation or your circumstances. And this isn't the only time that Paul would talk about how powerful contentment is. In fact, when he was mentoring a young pastor, he's pouring his life into a young leader, he talks about how much gain contentment actually brings in our lives. Look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
And so here Paul, pouring into this young leader's life, he he teaches them how powerful contentment can be. And he says, hey, there's three things that contentment understands about life in general. The first one is this, is that nothing is yours and it will die with you. Right? Think about that for a second. Most of the things that we claim as valuable in life when we die will fade away will cease to be valuable to us. In fact, most of the things in society that we place value on in eternity carry no value. That nothing that we have is actually ours, it's been given to us. So the first thing that contentment understands is, man, things fade away. The things that we value usually aren't that valuable at all. The second thing I think is really potent. It's this truth that if your needs are met, you are blessed. Do we really believe that though? I mean, honestly, if God provides for you food and water and shelter and that's it, would you walk around being like, blessed by God, baby? No, you know what we've done in in society? Is we've made God our Santa Claus. And what we've done is we said, hey God, here's my list of desires, what we would call needs. God, I need these things. And we draw up that list and we say, hey, you know what? I'm truly blessed if God takes care of all of these things. But the reality is, is if God provides what you need, not what you think you need, but what you actually need, you are blessed by God. The third thing that contentment teaches us is that being rich or poor can be a trap that can lead to your destruction. This always kind of blows my mind that the very thing that most of us desire, right? Who who doesn't desire to have more money, more riches, and maybe God isn't giving you the thing you desire because he realizes where that thing will take you. He's actually protecting you from yourself. And look what Proverbs says, the book of wisdom, right? Daniel says he he reads it in in, in his quiet time. Proverbs 30, he says this, two things I ask of you, Lord. Okay, so if you're gonna ask God for two things, he says, do not refuse me before I die. What are those two things? Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Seems like a good request. The second one, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. You see, it's it's fascinating to me that, that being rich or poor can either of those things can be a trap. A trap into thinking one thing, to to pull you away from God, right? If you're rich, you have all the things that you desire. We get to this place where we become so proud that we think, I I don't even need God. Who is the Lord? I'm the Lord, right? Or when we become poor. We we get so desperate that we take matters into our own hands, not trusting God to provide, so we steal and dishonor the name of the Lord. And so we we recognize that being content is hard. It's a struggle. It's a battle. And honestly, in American society today, it feels like contentment has left the building. Do you realize that businesses are built on the fact that we aren't content? Content. Most businesses are in this pursuit to want you to desire more. And there's two things that I think ultimately keep us from being content. The first one is the that's mine mentality. This is mine. And you see, in this mentality, we have bought a lie. 
We've bought the lie that what I have is mine. I've achieved it. I've earned it. I worked hard for it. And because of those things, it, I own it. And what's happened is this lie continues because our kids have bought the lie because they see the lie being bought by our parents. Right, this is why in the Karshner household, so many times mommy or daddy have to trounce upstairs because guess what my kids are doing? They're fighting over a toy. It happens regularly in the Karshner household. And so mommy and daddy come up, what's going on? Well, I want it, she wants it, la la la. And then every once in a while, one of my kids will say, but daddy, that's mine. Oh, in, in, in the Karshner household, we don't say that stuff. You want a good lecture from mommy or daddy? You tell, tell mommy or daddy that's yours. Oh, hold on a second. Did you just say that? Because wait, I don't remember you buying that thing. So why would you think it's yours? Okay. I needed this. You understand this is counseling for me, okay? Whew. And you know what's crazy? is that same conversation I have with my kids, I believe sometimes God wants to have with me. Because how many of us walk around in life holding tightly to our homes, to our houses, to our cars, to our children, to our futures, and we look up at God clinging to what is ours. This is mine, God. And again, you wanna tell me how to live my life in certain areas, but this area, this is mine. This is my money, God. This is my home. And yet I think we forget what the Bible teaches us. Right? James chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above. That what you think is yours is actually just you are borrowing it. God has graciously handed it to you. Paul says it like this. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? You see, the faster we can get to the theological foundation that everything that we have is ultimately God's, will help us achieve contentment. The second thing that gets in the way is I call this the comparison drug. And it's like a drug because it gives you a high, and that high leads you to places that you don't necessarily want to go. And and it's so easy today to do this. It is so easy in our culture today just to find yourself unintentionally scrolling through social media. And what do we see on social media? We get access to people's lives. We get to see their houses, and we get to see their cars, and we get to see their boats, and we get to see their churches that are filled, and we get to see all the things about their life. And and what we recognize is, ooh, they have maybe some things that I want. Their house is a little bit nicer. Their their church is a little bit bigger. Their their car is is a lot sweeter. And, And guess what that comparison drug does? It drives us to want more. It puts us in this constant pursuit to chase after more and more and more stuff. And guess what that does? It kills contentment. It destroys contentment. And so you recognize that this isn't something that comes natural to us. It's something that we have to fight for. And yet Paul says, in the midst of the fight, I found the secret. I found the secret to contentment. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. 
That's what I, I love how Paul begins this right here. He's, he's like, hey, whether you're rich or poor, you, you, any rebuttal that you have for me, I've been in your shoes. So I, I've been rich and I've been extremely poor. He says, but I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So today, church, Paul says you don't have an excuse. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, here's the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, what Paul says is you want to know the secret to contentment? It's Jesus Christ. The secret to achieving satisfaction in your life is only, solely found in Jesus. And Paul learned this lesson throughout his life because there were times, he even says, where I had a lot. And what I learned is when I had a lot, at some point in my life, that, that lots of stuff could be taken away. And if my satisfaction is in my stuff and it disappears, where does it go from there? But, but what Paul realized is you couldn't strip him of his joy. You couldn't strip him of his peace if it was rooted in Jesus. Because when you have Jesus, he can't be taken away from you. And so what happens is Paul is saying, hey, if you want true satisfaction, root it in something that no one can take away from you. And I think as Christians, I fail to realize this sometimes. But when I live in this state of always wanting more, here's the message I send to my Savior. Here, I'm saying that that stuff will satisfy me more than you can. If I just get that thing, that thing will give me more pleasure, Jesus, than you can. And I told you, we're going to go on a different road, the road of contentment. And guess where that road leads? It leads to us becoming generous people. Look what he says next. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And so here's what Paul is learning in this church and in Philippi is learning that, that, that when you're content and you need something, God provides for it through the generosity of others. Because contentment, when we are truly content, it leads to generosity. Contentment teaches us to live with open hands. And when we have open hands, it creates margin in our life to bless others. So many of us, we, 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 it's not even that we don't want to be generous. It's that we haven't learned contentment. And contentment says you don't need that because you know what? You'll get more satisfaction, not from that, but from helping somebody else. And many of us, we don't have that margin because we haven't learned contentment yet. And today, if we are going to be a church, remember, a group of people, a movement of people that is ridiculously generous, we won't get there until we first learn contentment. To be content with what God has given us. And so this morning, as we, we talk about this word, I just have three questions to ask you. Three questions that I think we can really marinate on throughout this week. And the first one is simple. Have you learned Paul's secret? Have you found contentment in Jesus Christ? Because here's what I know. Everybody goes on this journey. 
And many of you are on that journey. Some of you are on that journey right now where you are looking for satisfaction in life. You're you're looking for fulfillment in your life. And here's what most, all of us do. In the early journeys of that, that, that pursuit to find fulfillment and satisfaction, we go to everything the world has to offer. We go to relationships and sex. We go to drugs and drinking. We go to anything and everything just for a season that will somehow bring a little bit of comfort and peace and satisfaction into our lives. But here's what we find out really fast. All the things the world has to offer, they give us satisfaction for a season, but eventually it fades. And if you're tired of that journey, can I ask you, can I plead with you? Why don't you try something that will never fade? Why don't you try a hope that can't be taken away from you? That hope, that satisfaction is only found in Jesus. And Paul says, hey, why not surrender your life to Jesus? Why not find fulfillment in Jesus? Because all the other stuff will fade away. Jesus, his kingdom's going to last forever. Amen, church? Have you found your contentment in Christ? The second question is, out of your relationship with Jesus, have you found contentment? Honestly, Can you look at the mirror of your life and just say, you know what, I'm good with what I have. If God were not to give me one more thing, I'd be okay with that. Or are you so busy just chasing after, scrolling through Amazon or social media, desiring the next and greatest thing? Do you really trust God to provide for your needs? Have you found contentment? And then the third question. See, we're on a progression. I told you, we're on a road, a road that's not traveled very often. Has your contentment led to your generosity? Could you describe yourself as a generous person? Someone who lives not clenching to what is theirs, But a person who lives with open hands, when God says give, you say yes. When God says surrender, you say yes. You see, the first thing, I learned this from my dad. He was one of the most generous people, persons I know. And my dad, one thing I learned from my dad through his generosity is the first thing that generosity says is thank you, God, for what you have given me. Because it reminds us that it is from the Lord. And when you live a generous lifestyle, you identify with Christ. You identify with God because what does the Bible say? It says God loved you enough that he gave. He gave his one and only son. And what did Jesus give? He gave up his life for you. And so we follow that example. The Bible says you will find more satisfaction in giving than you will receiving. But the best thing that generosity teaches us is this. That when you give, you remind yourself, you teach yourself to let go of things that don't matter, to hold on to Christ who does matter. You see, many of us, we we wonder why our relationship with Christ is, is fading. It's because we're holding on to things that don't matter at the expense of our relationship with Jesus that does matter. And when we live with generous hands, it lets go of things that have no value to hold on to the greatest thing of value, your relationship with Jesus. 
And so my question for you today, as we ponder those three questions, would you be willing to try generosity? Would you be willing to take a step of faith and say, you know what, I wanna become a generous person? And often when we think about generosity, we often think about dollars. But today, generosity can mean more than that. Some of the greatest things you can give people is just your time. Can I tell you today, your time is way more valuable than your dollar. There's plenty of dollars around America, but all of us have the same amount of time. Same amount of time in a day. And so would you be willing to take a step of faith for 90 days and be generous? First group of people, would you be generous with your time and your talents by serving in our local church or by serving in our community? By finding a ministry that you love, whether it's worship or, or whether it's production or technology or kids or students and saying, you know what, for 90 days, I'm gonna, I'll try that ministry. I'll get plugged in and I'll go for it. But would you find a local partner that we have with our Beyond team? And would you say, hey, you know what, I'm gonna learn more about them and I'm gonna give them 90 days of my time, what I can do to help them. Or would you say, hey, you know what, for 90 days, I'm going to be generous with my finances. I've received from Northridge Church over and over again, and today I feel like God's moving me to, to give back financially. Here's the great news for, for giving back financially. For 90 days, we call this our 90-day challenge. You can do it at zero risk to you. Because here's our promise to you. If you, you sign up for the 90-day challenge, for 90 days you give whatever God lays in your heart. At the end of 90 days, if you're not satisfied, we'll write you a check for every single dollar that you've given us. Because we, provide, we trust in God to provide for us, not any one of us. And so if you're interested in becoming more generous, I'd ask you to just go to I want that info. You'll see a banner that says, I wanna be generous. You give us your name and information, you pick which one, whether it's your time and your, your, your talents or it's your treasure, you pick that route and we will follow up with you and make it as easy as it possibly can be for you. But when I think about Paul, I think about a guy sitting in a jail cell who's been beaten and bruised for the sake of the gospel. And I wonder, like, how could anybody be content in that situation? And Paul tells you, look what he says in verse 19. He says, and my God will meet all my needs or your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. God, as cliche as it sounds, it's so true that we have all we need in you. And so I pray in, in our society today that we would be willing to live with open hands, that through us finding contentment in you, it would lead us to be a generous church who cares for people around us, to surrender and to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. We need your help in that journey. In Jesus' name.